Last week, we introduced the subject of thin places, and I would strongly recommend if you were not here, or if you were here and distracted, because that can happen. Life can do that. Go back and listen to it. I'm told by somebody today that the podcast was a little hard to get to, Gary, so we'll work on that. Uh, make sure that it's available and uh, easy to listen to. But you can also go to the Fourth Avenue Church streaming site on Facebook, and it's there. So listen to that. It's a, it's a good setup to explain what thin places are. I mentioned eight different kinds of thin places that are mentioned repeatedly in Scripture. Caves, houses, the table, mountains, boats, wells, rivers, and wilderness. Now, that's by no means a comprehensive list, but it's a start. And, and my, my real earnest desire is that as we go through this series, you'll start seeing thin places in your own daily life. Next week, we're going to step aside into stories out of my life and Cammie's life to illustrate some thin places. I would like to tell you more, but it would give away the, the, the fun, so we're not going to do that. Thin places are not necessarily places you go to. Most thin places come to you, and we'll be able to look at all of those as we go through this. We're going to talk today about mountains. Mountains have always been special. Cammie and I have always loved mountains, and we always have had def different de definitions. She's from the Rockies. Therefore, they're the smoky mountains are the smoky hills. Uh, and the, the highlands of Scotland are the not quite as lowlands of Scotland as far as she's concerned. And I get that. The Rockies have a beauty which is amazing. Normally when I fly on a plane, I don't care where I sit. But if I'm flying across the Rockies, say to, to uh, Los Angeles or up to Seattle, I get a window seat so I can look down and see the beauty of those things. It's, it's, they're staggering. You, you may love flat and stillness, and you may, you may be from Kansas and miss whatever is there. I, we used to drive to Cammie's folk when they lived in Denver, and you hit Kansas, and you're just going, you know, kids are looking around. After a while, you say, you know, kids, why don't you play on your phone? There's no need to look at the scenery. There's nothing out there. But I will admit, after a while, I actually started seeing some beauty even in the prairies. We were going through Nebraska once, and some people were kind of kidding, saying, why would you stop here? Uh, why, would you, why would you decide this looks good? And we went on a little, little bit further, and then you saw the huge Rocky Mountains, and I said, now you know. They looked at that and went, you know something, this is good. Because it's tough. They're massive. It's always been a natural human response to be in awe of mountain ranges. I can remember the first time I moved to Denver. This is when uh, Cammie and I were just dating. And I, was, I moved there and decided on a day I had off to drive up into the mountains. I'd not seen the Rockies at all. And so, you know, I thought I'd seen the mountains because they're right there uh, just west of Denver. So I started climbing up in the car, and the car was struggling. But I got over the top bit. And as soon as I got over the top bit, as far as I could see were much higher mountains. And I went, oh, it's not just one. Uh, there, there seem to be rather a lot of these. There shouldn't be a surprise then that when some people want to get close to God, they, they think of those moments of awe and majesty, and they go on to a mountain. For some people, going on a mountain meant automatically getting close to God because they thought heaven was up, and up from wherever they were on this round ball, and so they would climb up to get closer to God. 
there are people that still do this all over the world. On tops of mountains are found sacred sites for their particular religion. In the Himalayas, the Everest range, if, if that helps you, uh, they are everywhere. Prayer wheels, prayer drums, prayer claws, prayer ribbons, uh, pinwheels that are made of prayers. They are everywhere because people go as high as they can and then put their prayers up so that the God who is way up there might possibly see the prayers. Getting the attention of your God has been a constant struggle for people throughout history. Do you remember there was a contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And they wanted to show whose God was God, and it took place on a mountain. Do you remember when Paul was going to talk to the pagans of Athens? He found them on a mountain looking for their God to the point where they even had an altar that said, to the unknown God. And Paul, Paul wanted to have a word with them. Comes out of Acts. Let's have a look. Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he, he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. By the way, let me just stop right there. He wasn't insulting them. The word ignorant has become an insult. But it used to mean, I have information you need. You're ignorant of this, let me supply it. So he wasn't being insulted. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. This is very important. If you've ever been to the Far East, you have to bring food to the big, fat Buddhas. I'm always thinking, you know, they need to cut down, so I'm not going to. Back off from the carbs. Um, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history, the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Just as I did at the table a while ago, Paul is saying he's not out there. He's in your very selves. He is in the wind that blows by. He is in the songs that you sing. God is already here. Jesus did not say, if you follow, if you pray, and if you do the right thing, then I will accept you up in heaven. He said, I will be with you always. Did he lie? No. But you might think, I don't, I don't really feel his presence. Oh, that's the cool thing. You don't have to. Feelings are not facts. Feelings will lie to you. Facts are facts. And this is one of those wonderful facts. He's here. He's waiting to contact you. Unless you're already contacting him. You're already praying and serving him. In which case, he's all wrapped around your life. A question probably came up on Mars Hill. That is, well, how can we... 
Are we, are we close to that God because we're on a mountain? And Paul would, of course, say, no. He would say, you're his children. He's always near his children. Unlike mountains, God spoke us into being. Have you ever thought of this? Everything in the universe was spoken into beings except us. We were spoken about and then handmade. God made nothing else with his hands, according to the beautiful chapters of Genesis 1 and 2, but he did us, and then breathed into us a spirit. We are greater than stone and wood and gold, and you cannot make God out of stone, wood, and gold because he is greater than that. So why are mountains such special places then if they don't bring us physically closer to God? One answer could be they take you farther away from other gods. I'll have to explain that probably. They take you further away from noises. They take you further away from distractions. They, <clears throat> they help you focus your life before it leaks away. Our, uh, a lot of our young folk are gone right now, but one of the things that older folk try to impress upon younger folk is your, your life is limited. It's precious. Engage. If you're walking around all the time slouching with your hands in your pocket, going, this boring, well, that's going to be a hard road between here and the funeral home. And you're going to take it. And you'll be surprised because you were looking at your phone when the car hit you. But <laughs> you might as well enjoy the process. Get away from the gods that have sapped the joy. Look, can we be honest here? Watching a movie at home was a lot more engaging and interesting when we didn't have phones in our hands to distract us. I'm not anti-phone. Mine's kind of sutured to my body, too. I get that. But there comes a time we have to realize all these distractions are, are stealing joy. They are stealing our ability to enjoy the moment. So mountaintops are quiet places. And that's one of the reasons why we go up there. <clears throat> By the way, when I'm out, <clears throat> I'm, this is just me. I, uh, one person said, are you dying? I went, yep, so are you. But that's not the point. Um, <clears throat> that's going to erase you. Uh, anyway, the, the, one of the reasons we go up mountains is because they are solitude. That's one of the reasons why people who climb Everest are almost always disappointed. Because it's crowded. It is full of trash, human waste, and unclaimed bodies. You will walk by falling and frozen and ice bodies of those that didn't survive. And those that have, it used to be something people would talk about, ooh, you know, you, you climbed Everest. Now it's, it's a disappointment to those who go. And they write quite extensively about it. Why? It's not distraction-free. It's noisy, it's stinky, it's crowded. That's not what you go to a mountain for. In Colorado, we had friends that liked to climb what they call the 14ers. Colorado has 53 mountains that are higher than 14,000 feet. And they want to climb all of them, and many of them have. And they'll go do it again. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> they'll, they'll say it's a challenge, and, it, and it's, a, it's a sense of accomplishment, and it really is. It really is, I'm sure. I didn't do it, uh, but I'm sure that it is. But if you talk to them long enough, they get away from that challenge talk. 
They get, an off, uh, get away from that. My goal is to... Con- they get away from that. And instead they talk about how close they feel to God. The reason is they tuned out the world and they listened. They listened. Michael Crichton wrote a lot of very uh, well-done novels before he passed away. He was an MD and he was an atheist and, and not an easy man to get along with. There's no question. But he was brilliant in observation. In one of his books, an Arab trader is put on a boat with Vikings. And I won't do the backstory. It's an interesting backstory. Uh, the 13th warrior. But they sail all the way back up into Scandinavia. They all assume the Arab guy cannot speak a word of their language until they get there. And in one scene, he turns and speaks to them in their language. And they think that makes him a god or a demon or something. It terrifies them. And one of them even holds an axe to him and says, how do you know our language? And he said, because I listened. He paid attention. He was aware. He lived there, watched there, and saw it. That's what mountaintops are for. You're up there going, wow. And you just look. You just think. You're not being distracted by an email. Let's get back to a time in the life of Moses. He was over 80, and he had just humbled Egypt by announcing that the God of heaven was not going to allow his children to be enslaved any longer. He was taking them home. That did not go well until God struck down their gods. We looked at this earlier a couple of times, I think, in the four years I've been here, so I won't, I won't rehash that, but just remember, they worshiped the sun, he blotted that out. They worshiped the, the Nile, he turned that to blood, and on and on. All of their gods were struck down, and then even Pharaoh as God, that family was struck down, and then God pulls them out. What was that all about? To show them, I am the one true God. What happens next? Well, there's the Red Sea, but what happens next? They come to a mountain. Now, I want you to think about this. The mountain is shaking, the scripture says, and Sinai is not what we would call a mountain. We would call it a mountain range. It's a group of peaks. They come there. It is shaking. It is cloud-covered. That's noisy, but you're noisy too. All of these people All of these animals, all of the gear, it's making noise. When a group this large walks across the desert, you can see the dust 20 miles away easily. And you can tell that they're coming. They're thumping on the ground. It is cacophony. And then the mountain goes silent. A trumpet blast, another silence. And God says, come up here. Moses, I want to talk to you. I've always wondered what Moses felt like climbing that mountain, knowing every step took him not one step closer to being absolutely alone with the God of the universe. And then I get the chills every time when I think one day I will know because he will call my name and I will have to walk there too. Although I had a feeling it's going to be a lot more joyful than Moses was because we know the end of the story. Moses did not. And he's an 80-year-old climbing a mountain. How happy can he be? (laughs) If you're 80, I'm not insulting you. If I am insulting you, let me know by sending me a picture of you on top of a 14er. Thank you. I'm sure some people do that. Moses goes up. Nobody had ever loved anybody more than God loves people. Do you also remember that 
Nobody ever loved anybody more than Jesus loves you. And yet, what did Jesus do? Repeatedly would go to a mountain, go to the sea, go to the desert to be alone, sometimes for a month or more alone. He needed alone time. And here's where I need to speak to two groups of people. Most people are in between. Introverts. I've had so many people in it that are introverts so say, I don't know how I can work within a church. You need to know that a lot of the ministers you really admire are introverts. For some reason, God likes to play these games. I'm an introvert. I have very limited amount of people time before I have to go to mountain time. I have to go to sea time. I have to go back off a little bit. If there was ever an action Patrick figure, if you, well, that would be hilarious. Uh, you, all you'd have to do is wind it up and it would randomly disappear during the day. <laughs> I need that time. I can remember I worked with, and I know he, he listens to some of these and a lot of the church out there does. So Matt Elliott was my worship minister in Colorado. He is the polar opposite. When I went there, I found that our offices had a connecting door. Uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't good. So I was about to put a bookcase there, and he said, no, you don't have to. There's a lock on your side. And I'm thinking, that may not be enough. So I went to a firing range and had a big warning sign, got one there that said, warning, live fire uh, past this point, and put it on his side of the door. But I can, I'll never forget, uh, the story is too long, I won't do that, but we had a ton of people issues and things, and then a massive Christmas service. When it was all over, everybody else is leaving, I was sitting on the stage, kind of half leaned over, numb. Here comes Matt, like a ferret on its third cup of espresso. <laughs> Bouncing from foot to foot. This was awesome, this was great. Let's go to Waffle House. I said, if I had the energy, I would shoot you. <laughs> he was, he's an extrovert. Extroverts, I know you need people. You need people to refuel. You get your energy from people. And God is not saying that you've got to go to a mountain for a month. But even you need the quiet time to be alone with God. Just as introverts have to engage with humans, because that's what we're here for, you also have to push your boundaries. If Jesus had to, how would we think we would not? Let's go back to that mountain. On the third day of the third month after they left Egypt, they arrive at the mountain. And God gives Moses a quick message for the people, which Moses then delivers. Then God reveals that something special is about to happen. In Exodus 19.9, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and they will always put their trust in you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said. It was a fascinating exchange. You might want to read this later. The people prepare for something holy to happen. They clean themselves up. They're given strict orders. Kill anybody who disrupts the worship. <laughs> We've eased that <laughs> a little bit. And not let anybody disturb the meeting between Moses and God. There are times that husbands, wives, friends, you need to run interference for your husband, wife, friend. And somebody wants to contact them saying they need some quiet time. They're not available. And that's, um, 
That's a good thing. You don't have to kill them. That's, I, I probably should say that. Uh, let's, let's go to the next bit. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain. Remember Hebrews 12 said, if you touch the mountain, you would die. And tell them, be careful. You do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. I don't know if we gave them the choice or... Anyway, not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Now, this is pretty serious stuff. God is marking out some territory here. But then he says this. Let's look at the next bit. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a loud trumpet blast. Everybody in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. Think of this. But I want to tell you something. Every time Mark Duckworth stands up here and hits that first quarter note, he is inviting you to approach a sacred mountain and worship. This stuff still happens. We just get numb to it after a while. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. God needed Moses' full attention. Do you think he got it? I think he got it. We often speak of the Ten Commandments, and so we should. But God gave Moses hundreds of laws on top of that mountain. Moses was up there for such a long time that the people thought he may have died, that he's not coming back now. And it, besides, he met with a powerful and dangerous God. He might just not survive such a thing. <clears throat> so they decided to get some other gods to help them move through the desert. In Exodus, when people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. Because that thing was dangerous, evidently. It killed that guy that led him out of Egypt. Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt. I like this. This fellow, we, we met him once. We, so, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Do you ever notice that the boys were wearing gold earrings too? Hmm. Anyway. What was he going to do? He was going to make a god for them. However, he didn't make them another god. That's where people get a mistake. The golden calf he put up was not for them to worship a golden calf. It was a stand-in for Jehovah who was on top of the mountain. He said, this is the god who led you out of Egypt. This is Jehovah. He built them a controlled, understandable, limited god. And that's what religion has been trying to do ever since. Put God in a box. These things God likes, these things God doesn't like. You do it this way, you do it this way. God, God is like a cosmic vending machine. You push the right button, salvation comes out. You don't do that to God. You don't make a representation of God. It quickly dropped into pagan idolatry, debauchery. Why? They did not embrace the holy mystery of God. They did not look for the thin place, but rather wanted something solid, 
earthly in front of them. Remember this. The devil does not need you to believe in him or look at him or focus on him for him to win. All he has to do is get your eyes off Jesus. That's all. Distract you. Perhaps it's time for us to make a personal inventory of our lives. What takes our eyes off of Jesus? What noises crowd out the voice of God? How many thin places do we fail to notice because our eyes and minds are busy elsewhere? We'll look at mountains again, but I would like just to walk you through a very simple exercise. Consider going to get fast food via the drive-thru. Fascinating concept to me. I, I watch stuff. I think about stuff. Here you are. You're, you don't have time for a proper restaurant, which is fine. You might not have the money for that. Uh, and you don't have time to go in and sit in there. You're going to sit in a line of cars instead because that's faster. I don't want to go in there where two or three people are being served at a time. I want to be served by one person. That's it. You know, it, it's an odd concept, let's face it. But you're in line. The options are lit up in front of you. You have options. That's, an, that's a very interesting thing. You speak to a person via a speaker. You're told to pull up to the first window. What do you do there? You hand bits of paper and metal that have zero intrinsic value to them. They hand you a piece of paper back. It has less value than what you handed over. Then they direct you, go to the next window. It's an act of faith, but you do. You go, you sit there, they hand you something. It might be what you ordered. That's happened a couple of times. <laughs> you know, it might be a live frog. You never know. You never know. And either you place it on a seat beside you and drive off and then eat the mystery food, or if you have children, you're parceling it out to them, and then you drive away. Have you ever thought about this, this daily thing? What if you slowed down and looked at this? No, I'm not going to tell you that you need a home-cooked meal or that it, uh, you should go into the restaurant and sit down. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to say this is what you did, but it's a thin place. You had money for food. Do you know how rare that is in the world? Not only did you have money for food or a food-like substance, you... You had food that you could buy with your money. There are places where people have money, but there's no food. There are places where there's no food, or that there's food, but no money. You don't live in those places. You are a blessed individual. You even have a conveyance that makes sure you can buy this food and consume this food without burning a single calorie. So none of it is wasted. Well, it's wasted, but not, not wasted, wasted. I might have too much time to think. The point is still, you have a large variety of food in front of you there. You are not doomed to eating rice and beans all of your life, or just rice, or just gummy rice, or just roughly ground wheat and barley mixed with some water and a goop. And that's what most people in the world still eat. You have been blessed, 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 and yet how many of us think about it at all. We have so many blessings. That's why we get upset. I teach a course on death and dying several places, and 
Well, I was asked early on doing this, years and years ago, by someone. They said, do the people in other countries mourn like we do? And I think I understood where they were going with that. It was a Kubler-Ross thing. But I, um, I said, they love their children. I decided to go that direction. They love their children as much as we love ours. They hurt as much as we hurt. But their grief is different because they don't expect the world to go well. We do. We expect a miracle. We expect medicine. We expect help. We expect comfort. We expect, and if we don't get it, whoo, then we get upset. Why? Because we're blessed. We're so blessed. If our microwave breaks, you know, we're going, there is no God because we're, we're so spoiled. God has given us thin places if we stop and say, showers of blessing. He said showers of blessing. Look at this. They're here, and then shut down the noise and talk to God. Step down here so Mark and his team can get back up. The guitarist over here by the name is Bobby, and Bobby was Mark's guitarist for a long time on the road, and I've known Bobby a long time and love him. It makes me happy every time I see him. I told him I said that, but I won't. I also said I wouldn't point him out, so don't look up. Don't look. We have money, we have food, we have safety. Do you know how rare that is? What an amazing thing that is. But we even go further. Have we talked to God about this? Have we worked this out? I'm not talking about a perfunctory thank you for the food, although that's always worthwhile. That's always a good thing. I'm talking about acknowledging that this is a gift from his hands. I had a friend who took a picture of his meal because it's not, it's not real unless you do, evidently. And he looked down on it, and it was a cinnamon roll, a bunch of bacon, and such. And he said, I just caught myself praying that God would bless this to the nourishment of my body. <laughs> he said, I think God has his work cut out for him. <laughs> what if we allowed thin places to be so common in our life? Listen carefully that we become a thin place for others, that they can see God through us. I had a very strange thin place this last week that, that hit me so hard I had to share it with Cammie. And this, this may not impress you at all. I went to Kroger, and, and I got what I was supposed to get, and a couple of other things because I was unsupervised, but I got everything that was on my list went up and I paid for it and I was in the parking lot before I actually stopped and it hit me in most of my life most of our married life we would not have been able to go into a store and get what we needed without fear that we could not afford it without having to put something back without running a, a tally and then getting nervous about what spending that would mean for the rest of the week but God has blessed us now to where I didn't even think about what it cost. Now, some of you may still not be in the position that I'm in right now. And, you know, I'm not wealthy, but in a way I really am because I didn't have to count it. I just paid for it. I, I'm not trying to rub your situation in your face at all. What I'm trying to say is I don't deserve being where I am. And it, it was a thin place where I realized it was a gift. It had been handed to me. It's a blessing. 
thought about that as I left my cart in a traffic lane and walked. No, I didn't. I did not. I put my cart away. I can remember the first time I went to Kroger after we came back from Scotland. Cammie had told me she needed soap. So I went to get soap. Went to Kroger. There's more than one kind. In Europe, you go get soap. It has a, it's wrapped. It says soap. Here, I was looking around going, I'm not sure what all of this stuff does. And I couldn't call her. There were no cell phones. So I bought a bunch. I said, I'll take back whatever you don't need, but you ought to see this place. <laughs> Would you stand with me, please? In my mind, I went up to a mountain and I thanked God. To my mind, I didn't turn on the radio, which is really odd for me. Music is everywhere. I, I didn't turn it on. I, um, I wanted to thank God and be quiet for a while. Where is your mountain? Where do you meet God? Your mountain may be not a mountain. It could be the sea. It could be the prairie. It could be music. It could be silence. Wherever you meet God, make sure you meet God and you go there. Don't let the music and the noise of the world take you away. Find your mountain. Be intentional. Find a thin place. Most thin places will arrive in your life by accident, it seems. It's really providence. But you can also seek them out because they are best found and easiest found by those who see with the eyes of faith. May God bless you. Let's sing.